Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 23. We are in a series called Famous Last Words, Famous Last Words. Words. We've been looking at the final words of Jesus in his earthly ministry, in his time on earth, the things that he said toward the very end of his life. In fact, the last evening of his life up until crucifixion, we've been studying these words. All of the words of Christ are important, but what are significant are the words that have been spoken as the clock was ticking here on earth. Two weeks ago, we kicked this off and we talked about the Last Supper and Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Jesus was teaching them to serve. And then last week, if you were here, we looked at words from the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus was teaching us to surrender. Somebody say serve. Say surrender. That's a powerful combination. Today, I wanted to take us from the garden of Gethsemane all the way to Calvary. I want to talk to you about words from the cross, words from the cross. You know, so much happened from the time Jesus was in the garden until he climbed Calvary's hill called Golgotha, and he spoke some words there. Jesus was arrested. In the middle of the night, he was brought to the high priest. We know that he was denied by Peter, and then eventually he was brought before Pilate, early that morning. Then he was sent over to King Herod, only to be ushered back to Pilate. Pilate had him flogged and and whipped and beaten. Uh, He was exchanged for a sinner, Barabbas. They released Barabbas, and they condemned Jesus. And eventually, he walked what we call the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering. He carried his cross through the city of Jerusalem. You know, you think about that. I think the cross has to go through the streets of our city. Now, I'm speaking in a metaphor, but we can't just keep the cross in the church. And I know that we wear necklaces and and we have earrings and pendants with this, this emblem of our faith. But I want you to see today the cross was rugged. The cross was a, a place of torture. I want you to know how brutal. The cross was. Jesus made seven statements while he suffered on that tree. I don't have time to go through all seven. I'll only cover three of them today. But it would be a great study for you. And some of you, you, as you dive deep into the word, you've done this before. To examine all seven statements that Jesus made as he hung six hours on that cross. You know, it's interesting how crucifixion was invented by the Persians some three to four hundred years before Jesus. It was a form of torture invented by the Persians but perfected by the Romans at the beginning of the first millennium. It's the most painful form of death ever known to man. It's slow, it's sinister. And it maximized human suffering. In fact, we often use the word excruciating. When you're in pain, how many of you have ever said that was excruciating? That's the English word. Do you know where that word came from? Crucifixion and excruciating come from the same root 
word. And some of you that have studied how Christ was tormented and eventually the cause of his death, you'll know that through that, those six hours that he hung, after already being brutally beaten at that whipping post, he hangs on a cross for six hours and his lungs would collapse. His heart would fail. He would suffer from dehydration. He didn't have the ability to get sufficient oxygen to his body. And so eventually the cause of death from crucifixion would be suffocation. And in order for Jesus to even speak as he's nailed to those wooden beams, he would have to push up with his feet just to get enough oxygen in his chest to even speak. The very fact that he said seven statements in these six hours of torture is something in and of itself. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, I want to give you the first statement Jesus says is this. Luke 23, 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. It's amazing how what was happening all around the cross, they didn't even have a clue as to what was happening on the cross. These words, if you're taking notes, write, write down that first statement, Father, forgive them. This was the prayer of Jesus. In, in, in this moment of maximum suffering, Jesus, check this out, he's not only praying for their forgiveness, he's paying for their forgiveness. He's not only requesting something from God, but he is requiring everything that the law had demanded. He's giving of himself. How many thinks that's a big deal? It's not just Jesus praying, but he's paying. I mean, he's fully invested in what he's asking God for. Why? You know, God's holiness says that sin must be punished. God's holiness demands that sin is punished. But God's heart longs that man be forgiven. So Jesus, think about this, punishment and forgiveness. Jesus became both. God sent Jesus to be the punishment, the payment for our sins. And by that sacrifice, the means for our forgiveness. How many of you know forgiveness is a big deal? Now, now he says, Father, forgive them. Who, who is he specifically talking about? Now, now, you know this scene, and it's very familiar if you've been in church at any amount of time. Even if you're new to faith, you understand. You've seen movies and films that have depicted what's happening in that moment. Who is Jesus asking forgiveness for? I mean, Lord, are you serious? <laughs> forgive them? Who are we talking about here? Forgive all of them? <laughs> if that's me, I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going to forgive everybody. I mean, those ladies crying over there, I'll forgive them. You know, the disciples, I'm going to forgive them. But that high priest, nope. That guy with the spear, come on, somebody. The guys that have just beaten you and tortured you and spit on you and, and, and mocked you, made fun of you, taunted you, Lord, do you really mean to forgive them? How many of you know forgiveness it's either totally impossible or it's totally supernatural. 
You can't, and I can't, in my flesh, forgive others. I can't do it. Now, there's some people that I'd like to forgive because I think, well, maybe they, they deserve it. Maybe they've earned it. Or maybe, watch this, I'll forgive because they've apologized. Let me ask you this question. Was there any apologies happening around the cross? Yet we see Jesus is busy forgiving people who haven't even asked for an apology. They didn't even say, I'm sorry. Sometimes we say, well, I'll forgive her if she'll just own up to what she did to me. Oh, it's getting quiet in here. You see, I love what C.S. Lewis said. This is a great quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. Now, we all want forgiveness, right? We all need forgiveness. Listen, I tell, when I counsel, do like pre-marriage counseling for, for couples that are engaged and about to be married, it's awesome. They come in, and they're just so in love. They're in love. I'm in love. I'm in love, and I don't care who knows. It is so funny because we'll go through some questions. Is there, I'll ask you know, him, is there anything about her that just frustrates you or irritates you? He'll be like, we just love each other. We finish each other's sentences. It's like, man, married couples finish each other's sentences. Babe, while you're up, I get your own sandwich, right? I'll ask her, is there anything about him that just irritates you, makes you mad? No, he's perfect. <laughs> he's perfect. You know what? I've told Rachel about 10,000 times, I love you. But I've told her about 10 million times, I'm sorry. You know what keeps your relationships alive? It's the ability to forgive. You know what gives us access to heaven? Is what Jesus said here in this moment. He says, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they know not what they do. Okay, let me stop right here for a second. <laughs> Boy, this is going to challenge some of us. Now, not in all cases, but here's what I've discovered in my life. Let me just speak anecdotally from my own experience. Now, you may have a different experience. Please don't send me an email and, 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 and chastise me for what I'm about to say. But I have discovered that most of the people in my life who have hurt me did so in ignorance. They didn't even know what they were doing. Or if they did, say it is out of spite, they had no idea the impact that that would have on me. Most of the people that hurt you, they have no idea what they've done to you. And here's what happens. If you're holding on to something that they don't even know that they've done, then guess who is getting punished? You see, bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, it doesn't hurt the perpetrator of your pain. It only holds you captive. It holds you hostage. You become stuck. Come on, can somebody help me preach today? Jesus is teaching us something powerful about forgiveness. That forgiveness is saying this, I release you and I expect nothing from you. Somebody needs to write that down. It's saying you owe me nothing, not even an apology. 
You see, you don't have to wait for somebody to own up to what they've done to you to release them and let them go. Jesus, as he's being tortured and beaten and crucified, he says, God, they, they don't even realize what they're doing. Would you forgive them? And I'll tell you this. God will never expect you to forgive someone else more than what he has already forgiven you from. You'll never have to release somebody else more than what heaven has already released you from. You see, God wipes away our sins and forgets them completely. Look what the scripture says, Psalm 103, verse 8. This is describing the character and nature of who God is. The Lord is compassionate. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is slow to get angry. And what is he filled with? Unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us. How many of you know the accuser of the brethren and the sistren is Satan himself? God doesn't accuse you. He says he doesn't remain angry forever. Listen, verse 10. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Aren't you glad God doesn't give you what you deserve? Man, I tell you, what we deserve is judgment. But what we get is mercy. Listen to what he says. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. Verse 12, he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Now, why would the scripture say as far as the east from the west? You know why the scripture gives directions like that? Because east and west is different than north and south. If you look at a globe and you travel north, travel as far north as you can, you'll eventually hit what? The North Pole. Then once you pass the North Pole, you're no longer going north. You're starting to go south. You see, north and south can be measured, but east and west is immeasurable. Once you go east, you never reach a point where you stop because there is no east pole or west pole. Come on, are you with me? This is why the language of the writer here is saying, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sins and our transgressions from us. Why is this, why is this even possible? Because of the blood. Because of the blood, the sins and the guilt and the stain from my past does not have to haunt me today. Reminds me of what I heard years ago about circus elephants. I thought this was fascinating. Circus elephants. Do you know? It's amazing. These two-ton elephants, they're massive. That A circus trainer will put a shackle around their leg, attach it to a chain, and drive a stake in the ground. And a two-ton elephant can't escape from that. You know why that is? Because when that elephant is first born, maybe three, 400 pounds at best, that trainer will put a shackle around that baby leg, attach it to a chain, stake it in the ground, and that little baby elephant will try as hard as it can to get away from that chain, but he won't be able to do it. So at a certain point in his development, now he becomes an adult. He remembers what it's like to be chained to that stake. So now as an adult elephant, he doesn't even try to get away from it. You know why? He's not chained to a stake. He's chained to a memory. 
Come on now, talk to me. I know elephants are smart, but they got lots of memory, and they never forget what it was like as a kid to struggle and not be able to get free. So now as an adult, they don't even try. Some of you are chained to some things in your past, and you tried to get free from the guilt and the shame and the condemnation of failures in your yesterdays, so now you don't even try. You said, you know what? I couldn't get free then. I can't get free now. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. If God can wash you and cleanse you and make you whiter than snow, he not only forgives it, but he forgets it. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Look, look at what it says, the next statement. This is part of the conversation Jesus has with the thief on the cross. Look at what it says, Luke 23, verse 43. Then Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Father, forgive them. That's the prayer. But then this statement, today, you will be with me in paradise. That's the promise. This is a power. You know the conversation that's happening here, that Jesus was crucified in between two criminals. Think about these criminals. They made bad choices. They both got caught. They both were condemned with the same penalty. They both were the same distance from Jesus but they end up worlds away. Think about it. You can be close to it and still not walk in the power of it. One criminal looked at what was happening and he blamed everybody else. He was a sinner blaming others. The other criminal was a sinner acknowledging his own shortcomings. One criminal ridiculed Jesus and said, if you really are the Messiah, well, don't just save yourself. Save us while you're at it. And the other criminal, he looks over and he says, do you not even fear God? This man is innocent. We're guilty. We deserve what's coming to us. He is innocent. And then he says, Lord, when you get to wherever you're going, <laughs> will you remember me? I don't understand everything about religion. I've made a lot of mistakes. Man, my life is a mess. But wherever you are, God, that's where I want to be. You see, Jesus said this. I want to break down this statement. He says, I assure you, that's a promise. Somebody say promise. And when Jesus says, I assure you, he's speaking with the authority of God and all of heaven. You can, I want you to know this. You can count on the words of Jesus. He's saying there's a lot of uncertainty in life, but I assure you, that's a, that's a promise. I believe Jesus keeps his promises. When he says it, he'll do it. If he's spoken it, he will make it good. You see, you can know where you're going when you got a promise. Here's the thing. Listen, I, Brother Wayne says this. He says there's never a good time to die, but there's never a bad time to go to heaven. I want you to know I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of the future. You know why? Because I know who holds my future. Jesus tells this criminal, I assure you, that's a promise. And then he says, today, somebody say today. 
Not only did he have a promise, but that promise was prompt. He says, today, no penance, no purgatory, no reincarnation, no time out. Today, listen, the thief didn't have much time, but Jesus didn't need much time. Interesting to me, you know, this criminal never gave any money to the church. He never went through next steps. He never went on an outreach. He didn't go through any classes. He didn't have good doctrine or theology. He had no understanding of all these things that we think are so important. Yet he understood this man next to me. I don't know where you're going, but God, I want to be with you. Jesus says, I assure you, that's a promise. He says, today, that's a prompt. He says, you will be with me, and that's presence. Think about this. Who was the first person Jesus brought with him into heaven? When Jesus conquered the cross, when he defeated death, hell, and the grave, who's the first person that gets ushered into the party in heaven? It's this criminal can you imagine like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and Elijah, and some of the, 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 the patriarchs of faith? They're up there having a good time, and in walks Jesus with this guy. You ever come to Healing Place and saw somebody that you used to run and gun with back in the day and say, what are you doing here? And then have them look at you and say, I was about to ask you the same thing. <laughs> There's the fathers of our faith, and here comes Jesus with this criminal, this former criminal on his arm. And they're like, well, well Lord, who you got with you? He said, I just met him on my way to the party. I want to introduce you. No, no, no. You don't have to walk behind me. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt, no shame. Don't, you ain't walking behind me. You coming up with me. Hey, I want you to meet somebody. And I'm telling you, nobody was more surprised than the criminal himself. Listen, when you get to heaven, three things will surprise you. Who's there? Who's not there? And that you're there. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Today, you will be with me. Where? In paradise. Now, check this out. Check this out. In the Garden of Eden... The worst day in human history, God had to say to Adam and Eve, leave. But on this day, when Jesus made this promise and he stepped into glory, he no longer says leave. He says, come on in. You see, what was lost in the Garden of Eden is now redeemed here at Calvary. This feast day started in punishment, but it ended in paradise. Can somebody say, thank you, Lord? Now, let me, let me hustle. John, let, let me give you this last scripture. Then the, the, the third and final statement we'll look at today, John 19, verse 30. When Jesus had tasted it, he said this, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Number three, write down this, it's finished. Father, forgive them. That's the prayer. Today you'll be with me. That's the promise but it is finished, that's the price. In the Greek, it is finished is this phrase, this word, tetelestai. And it literally means paid in full. 
paid in full. In fact, in the ancient world, if you owed a debt and somebody came and paid that debt, they would stamp that document with the word tetelestai. That means the debt has been paid. There's nothing left that you owe. Come on, somebody. You know, as a back in the day, pastors used to make like home visits, door-to-door, check on their members, care for the flock, and show up at the house and spend some time, maybe eat some apple pie. Come on, somebody. Times have changed a little bit. You know, we don't, we don't really go door-to-door too much anymore. If I, if I want to make a pastoral visit, I just go to Walmart. <laughs> it's true. I see all y'all at Walmart all the time. I really do. And so it's, it's part, of, I go there hoping to see you. I want to see you. I'm not knocking on your door asking for peach cobbler, but man, I'm going to visit with you at Walmart. Rachel, sometimes she, she, she's careful when she sends me. Baby, I just need you to pick up three things. I need you to get three things, and I need you back here. And three hours later, I come home. I got way more than three things. Come on, somebody. But I've had some amazing visits with you. I love it. I've told you this before. I say, when, when I die, I told Rachel to bury me in the Walmart parking lot. Because I know she'll come visit me every day. As she spends a lot of time there. Several years ago, I was at Walmart doing one of these runs, had my list, and, you know, trying to get everything. I, I, I get a little, I don't know where anything is in Walmart. I don't. So it's never a quick visit for me. It's never. I can't find what I'm looking for. I, well, they don't have it. And then I put Rachel on FaceTime. She's like, turn and sh- let me see the shelf. Let me see that. It's right there to the I'm like, oh, I didn't see that. And so you go through all the trouble to find everything you're looking for. I, I, don't, I don't like self-checkout. I mean, I'm exhausted, okay? I want somebody. I'm going to set this on a belt. Man, you, yeah, let's, let's talk. Hey, how are you? I want to minister to you. Where do you go to church, you know? And so, but this one day I was, I had to do self-checkout. And so, man, it, I'm looking for the barcodes and, you know, okay, if you don't scan it just right, you got to set it in the thing and it's got to feel. If it's not, then you get charged. I didn't, you know, and you're pressing a button and the sweet lady's got to come and, you know, show you what an idiot you are. And, and so I went, I went through all the trouble to scan the, the items, bag them, and I put them in the, in the, the, the buggy and I'm rolling out. And then sweet lady at the, at the door, she's, Smiling, all nice. Man, I, I love, when I, after this job, when I retire from ministry, I'm going to be a greeter at Walmart. I am. It's going to be awesome. She's smiling. She's, hey, how are you? I said, I'm great. How are you? She said, can I see your receipt? I was like, well, sure. And I'm looking, and I didn't have a receipt. I said, I can't find my receipt. She said, exactly, because you didn't pay for these groceries. She said, I sat there and watched you scan each item, put them in that bag, and you're about to walk out this store. You didn't even, you didn't even pay. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord. <laughs> 10 o'clock news, healing place pastor caught shoplifting at Prairieville Walmart. I had forgotten to pay for it. Come on now, this is an innocent mistake. Listen, innocent mistake. No emails. Don't be posting nothing about me now. I went through all the work, and I forgot to pay for the grocery. She needed a receipt. Listen, the cross is God's receipt. 
He's saying, you owed a debt that you couldn't pay. So Jesus says, I'm going to pay a debt that I didn't owe. And I'm going to write it in red, paid in full. Guess what? It's finished. And at that moment when Jesus dies, boy, I feel the Holy Ghost up in here. When Jesus died, those on the earth thought that everything was lost. But those in heaven watched and knew that everything was won. At that moment when he died, the scripture says that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Why is that important? Because that veil is what separated man from God. And only one time a year at Passover, the high priest was the only one that could enter that veil. Well, Jesus became our high priest. When he said, it is finished, that veil tore from top to bottom. Why is that important? Because it was God making himself accessible to man. It wasn't bottom to top that says we got to work our way to God. It doesn't work that way. And so when you and I stand before God, He'll ask you for a receipt. Don't be like me in Walmart. Oh, wait. Oh, whoa. Uh-uh. You point to Jesus. And you say, written in red, paid in full, it is finished. Come on, do you believe that today? Put your hands together if you believe that. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.